0: to which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God.
1: Well, let me, let me just say good morning again to you all, and uh, welcome. Thank you for having me. As uh, Scott said, my name is Eric Lipscomb. I serve as a campus pastor for RUF over at Columbia. Um, I work with an amazing team, uh, Ava Lai, who's a member here, uh, and uh, Sarah Mead also is a huge help to us as well. And so it's just a great uh, honor for me to be with you, to worship with you, and to share from God's word today. Uh, when, when I describe what we hope RUF to be on our campus, um, I usually say two things. I say I hope that we are a resource and a home, right? a resource in that we want to be a place where when students come their, their questions are answered and they are equipped to uh, grow in their faith and to know more about Jesus, uh, to follow him in an increasingly complex world. But uh, more than that, we, we long to be a home, a place where students find uh, life in Jesus Christ, find community, uh, and ultimately grow in the understanding of his love. And um, so as an extension of the church, we really hope to be a thick uh, and distinctive community. And that is actually one of the distinctives or one of the themes that Paul has in the letter to the Ephesians, right? Uh, The theme is this, that the work and the love of Jesus Christ creates a better community, right? This is what the church is, a diverse family that is gathered together in and through Jesus Christ. And so in in calling this community or the church uh, a better community, uh, what I don't mean is that the church is always more virtuous, um, what I don't mean is that the church is always more, more fun or um, certainly not more exclusive. What I do mean is that the church is meant to be, at least, um, this outpost of heaven, right? this, this, this place where the world would come and taste and experience some of what life is meant to be in and with God. Uh, it'd be the place where you experience both grace and truth, right, where we love both social justice and uh, God's righteousness. Um, it'd be the place where you ultimately come to experience that full and abundant life that is found in Christ, Right? And so the church is meant to be this better community. And today, um, as we heard uh, just a moment ago, we're looking at the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. Um, now let me just give you a little context. The, the first half of Ephesians 1, um, Paul sort of lays out God's eternal plan of salvation for his people. Right? The, the Father uh, planned redemption. The Son accomplished redemption. The Spirit applies that redemption. Uh, and so now uh, Paul is continuing on. And, and in, in these verses he gives us a prayer. Right, it's this prayer of thanksgiving for the church at Ephesus, but it's also a church. Or, sorry, excuse me, a prayer of illumination. Right, now, what is a, What is a prayer of illumination, or what needs illuminating? Why would Paul offer this? Well, I, I think of it like this: um, When I was in elementary school, my sister had this little book, uh, this book of pictures, and uh, but they weren't just regular pictures; they were called magic eye pictures. Do you know what these things are? Um, this is what passed for entertainment in the pre-internet days, right? Uh, you, would, you would glance at this, uh, you know, these this, this pictures, and you sort of hold your, by your face, you would blur your vision, and then kind of pull it away. And the idea was that eventually you would see this, like, 3D amazing thing. Um, most of the time, for me, I felt like I was staring at this thing, crossing my eyes until I got a headache, and then I was like, I got to put this away and, and go do something else, right? Um, but what would happen is, you know, I would, like, walk away from this, go like, you know, play with baseball cards or go read. And eventually my sister would like, yell from her room, like, Eric, come back. You've got to see this thing. This is amazing. It is so cool. Right? In effect, what was she saying? She was saying, look, there is something awesome here you need to see. It can be really hard to grasp, but if you do see it, it is amazing. Right? And that's what I think Paul is saying, why he's giving us this prayer of illumination. He's saying, look, in the message of Christianity, in the gospel there is something amazing that you need to see you need to experience and it can be challenging at many times to grasp or to see or to know but he's offering this prayer of illumination so that god would help us to see something more clearly right and so he starts by praying verse 18 says that you pray for the spirit's enablement to apprehend wisdom and truth right he's praying that the eyes of our hearts the sort of the center of our being would be open to receive and to see this amazing reality Now, what is that amazing reality? Well, I think I'm just going to sort of talk about it in two uh, small points today. Um, I think he wants us, uh, really, we're going to look at what is the content of Paul's prayer, right? What is it that he wants us to see? Uh, And then what is the goal of that prayer? What does Paul want us to do, right? So so what does Paul want us to see? And then what does he want us to do with what we see? And so first, this this content of the prayer, right, this sort of the, what is the magic eye thing that is often obscured? Uh, And in verses 18 through 19, Paul says this, Here's what I want you to see, that you may know what is the hope to which he, God has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Right? So Paul wants us to see and to know and to experience these three things, right? the hope of God's call, the riches of God's inheritance, and the greatness of his power. And so let's just think of these, uh, or talk about them each individually. First, the hope of God's call. Right, well, what is hope? Right? We, we sang of, of hope today. It was beautiful. The, God, the living hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, but you know, when the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't mean something like we maybe often mean. Right? Like, I hope the weather is nice this weekend. Or I hope I can save enough money to uh, retire early. Uh, or to even just maybe retire one day. <laughs> right? we, we, we call that uh, wishful thinking, Right. particularly in New York City. <laughs> um, that is not hope. That is wishful thinking. Right, But when the Bible talks about hope, when Paul talks about hope here, he's talking about something that is secure. Right, one theologian put it this way, just briefly. He said, Christian hope is an assurance of the reality of what we have not yet fully experienced. Right, he's, he, what he means is that Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It is actually a legitimate and confident expectation. Right, I, I've heard it elsewhere called confident longing. Right, this assured desire... It is future-oriented. It is an expectation that what will come to pass in the future will actually come to pass. Uh, Or maybe to put it a little more artfully, right, one, um, I've heard it put in this way, living with hope is dancing to the music of the future here now in the present, right, dancing to the music of the future in the present. Right, and so hope is this confident longing. But what is it that we long for? Well, how about an end to the hurricanes that devastate millions every year, right? Or how about restored relationships in the midst of your family? How about an end to the physical or the emotional pain that you carry with you every single day? Right? How about just a full and final reprieve from the weight of unmet and unfulfilled desires? Right? We long for these things to be put away. Right? We long for wholeness. We long for our bodies and our lives and our world to be renewed. Right? These are the deep longings and desires that we have. And what the Bible says is what is going to happen, what is going to come to fruition, is that God is going to make all things new. Right? That when we long for wholeness, we actually long with confidence. That wrongs will be made right. That systemic injustice will be fixed. That pandemics will be eradicated. Right? The Bible calls this hope resurrection life. And it says that for those who rest in Jesus, that hope is not wishful thinking. Right? It is a legitimate and assured expectation that we hold, even as we don't yet fully experience its realization. Right? And so what is that hope based on? Well, it, it, we, we, we're going to talk about what it is based on in the future, but what it's based on in the present, uh, and what Paul says here, is that we can be confident because we have this hope that is based on God's call. Right? That, that, that in some degree, our hope for the future is actually based on what God has done in the past. Right? That's sort of what God spent verses 3 through 14 telling us is that God has loved us. He showed his love. He has blessed us. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. Right? God has already called you his own. And so he starts off in verse 15, right, for this reason, and goes on to explain the thanksgiving that he has in this prayer of illumination he is praying. Right now, in, um, often in the athletic world or, or maybe even the business world, you know, um, often the best indicator of a person's future performance is what? We don't know, but it is often at least their past performance, right? Um, so, you know, when you go into a job interview, you don't talk about what you might theoretically do in a hypothetical situation in the future. You talk about how you did something similar in a past situation, right? right? You tell what you've already done, and God has already been faithful in the past, is what Paul is saying. He's already been faithful in the past, so we know that we will, he will continue to be faithful in the future, right? He has called you his own, and so he will continue to be with you. Um, one of the things I, I just, you know, as I hear myself talking to, uh, sitting over coffee to students, uh, particularly with incoming first years and uh, outgoing seniors, one of the things I often say to, 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 you know, these folks who are feeling the angst in particular of this new season of life that they are entering or are about to enter um, is, you know, look, look, like, God hasn't, like, brought you this far along your whole life only to just drop you so that you've got to figure it out on your own in this moment. Right? He hasn't walked you, he hasn't, he hasn't walked with you, he hasn't carried you your whole life, only to say, like, see you later, go figure it out. Right? If you've known and seen and felt God's past faithfulness to you, right, then his call on your life gives you confidence in the face of what now feels like a very uncertain present and a very uncertain future. Right? It definitely feels that way many of the to- much of the time. But knowing God's past call, knowing the hope of that, gives us confidence. Right? And God's call on your life is a big deal. Right? It's not like uh, you know, if you ever played the pool game Marco Polo where someone you know, is like eyes closed and they're like kind of reaching out playing, you know, calling out Marco Polo or Marco, you got to call out Polo like just sort of grasping in the dark, calling out, hoping you find somebody, right? right? That is not what God's call is like. God's call is specific. It is direct. It is to it is say, hey, you, Eric come to my party. You are the VIP. I want you to come here with me. Right, and so Paul prays that we would see and know the hope of God's call, but he also prays that we would see and know the richness of God's inheritance. And again, if if you read the first half uh, of Ephesians 1, right, Paul mentions this inheritance twice in verses 11 and 14. He's saying basically in Christ you've been given this inheritance, that you are given the status as a son or a daughter of the king, and so you have a heavenly inheritance, and you're given the Holy Spirit as an insurance, as a guarantee of that inheritance, right? So you might think of this inheritance as like a trust fund, right? If you had a a well-to-do parent or long-lost uncle who set up this this fund in your name, right? You don't maybe have access to it in the moment, fully anyways, but it is secure. It is your possession, right? This wealthy family member has set aside their wealth for you, right? It is secure. It will be yours in the future. It will be there for you. And what Paul is saying is that this is what God has done for his people. He has a glorious inheritance with your name on it. Right? And what that tells us about God's character is that he is generous. Right? God was not under obligation to do this, and yet he gives of himself. He gives of his grace freely and secures it for our future. Right? Now, what is the content of that inheritance? What is the most valuable thing that God could give us? Well, he gives us himself. He gives us his personal presence. If you think about even back in the Old Testament, God comes to Abraham and he gives him this promise. He says, your people are going to have this inheritance of a land. But if you know that the point of the promised land, the point of having... Uh, this promised land that they looked forward to, this inheritance, wasn't that they would just hold on to the land. It was that they would actually look beyond the land to the landlord, beyond the gift to the giver, to understand that God himself was their inheritance, right? That the land was meant to be this physical expression of the spiritual riches they had in God. And so here now, after the work of Jesus, Paul in the New Testament is saying, God has actually already given you his spirit, his ever-abiding presence is with you, and it is a down payment of the future fullness that is to come. Right, So Paul wants you to see the richness of this future with God. He wants you to know the joy uh, and the security of his presence. But lastly, he wants you to see the greatness of God's power. Right, He wants you to know that you are not just doing this life alone, Right, that you are not trying to sort of muster up this confidence, muster up this hope uh, in your own strength. You are not alone in that. That, that through the Spirit, you also have power. I mean, when I was in seminary, um, I worked as an after-school care uh, provider for, like, J- junior kindergarten through sixth graders. And so, um, often I would be out with kids uh, at the playground, just kind of, like, hanging out. And one day, I remember there was uh, this little girl, her name is Sydney. Um, she was just she was hanging on the monkey bars. She was a kindergartner. And, uh, you know, she was just kind of, like, stuck there. <laughs> she would like, gotten herself up, but she couldn't move. Uh, and so I went to Sydney because she was dangling and I didn't want her to fall, and I just like sort of let her like sit on my shoulder, and I uh, you know held her legs, and then she kind of like you know kind of worked her way across the rungs and got to the other side, uh, and then of course when she got there you know she said I did it, I was like yeah okay sort of uh, sure um, yeah you know I celebrated with her yeah like great job Sydney right? Um, right the point being right like you know the power actually wasn't provided by her right it was it was by the one who was carrying her? Right? And this is the greatness of God's power, that even now, He is carrying you. Right? And Paul's just saying, I just want you to recognize what is already true. I want you to recognize that God is carrying you with his power. And so I can imagine that, that again at this point, talking about this, this, this hope, this, in, this inheritance and this power, you might be asking, well, how do we know this is legitimate? How do we know this hope is legitimate? Right, how do we know this inheritance is secure? Or, or how have we come to know the greatness of God's power here? And Paul, in, in, in the letter, he goes on, well, I want to give you an answer to that. He says, the answer is that it is given to us in and through the work of Jesus Christ. Right, it's what he says at the end of verse 19 going into verse 20. All of this, this, this hope, this inheritance, this power, is done according to the work of his great might, that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, at his right hand in the heavenly places. And Paul is saying, okay, how do we know that our hope and expectation of resurrection life is legitimate? Paul says it is because Jesus Christ was actually physically raised from the dead. Right, this is not like a historical uh, myth. It's not like something that just existed in the minds of his disciples. It's not something that was made up later. It is an actual historical fact. He's saying this itinerant rabbi who was killed by the Romans was actually the incarnate Son of God who actually overcame death, was resurrected to new life, was seen by over 500 witnesses, was raised into heaven, is now actually seated at the right hand of the Father. Right? This actually happened. And so what is true of Christ then becomes true of, of those who place their faith and their trust in him. Right? Elsewhere in Romans 8, uh, chapter, verse 11, Paul describes it this way. He says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, right, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Right, so how do we know this inheritance is secure? He's saying it's because Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of God the Father advocating on your behalf, living in the presence of God forever. And because he is doing that, we can have this utmost confidence that he will be there for us, that he is our perfect elder brother, that we will be welcomed into the presence of the Father, into the house of the one you were made by and you were made for. Right? Because Jesus' death has ended our alienation. He has paid the cost for my and your wrongdoing. Right? But how do we know the greatness of God's power? Right. Well, Paul goes on. Says, all of these things that God has done through Jesus is a demonstration of that power. Right? This is what he spells out in verses twenty through twenty-two. Right? These are illustrations of what God has done, what He is able to do, the power that He has. Right? God has placed Jesus because of His death, life, life, death, resurrection, and His accession and his, sen- uh, uh, and his accession at God's hand. He is now placed at the throne of power over all other rulers and all other authorities. Right, he has made all other enemies his footstool, as, as Psalm 110 says. Right, so this is what Paul wants us to see. Jesus Christ is the one who secures our hope. Right, he is the substance of our inheritance. And his work is the clearest demonstration of God's power. But that's what, God, that's what Paul wants us to see. That's what he wants us to, to, do, uh, to see. But what does he want us to do? What is the goal of Paul's prayer? Well, uh, more briefly... <laughs> um, here's what paul wants us to do with this and he sort of ends by reminding us that 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 jesus has been given as the head over the church right which is the body of christ the fullness of him who fills all in all right he's letting us know look okay church you are the body of christ and what that means if anything is that you are meant to embody the love and the reality of christ and his work in the world but that we are to live as a hopeful community. That we are to live as an expectant community in the world because we have been filled with the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so I think that, that here means, just sort of, uh, by way of kind of application to sort of close, uh, four things that I think this can mean for us. What, is, what, does Paul, what can we do with this? What, what does Paul want us to do with this? And the first is that um, I think if Jesus is the head, um, we would just allow us to allow him to lead us. Right? Actually lean into and believe that he is the head. That even when he calls you into difficult places or to difficult things, that he does so not out of, out of uh, because he wants to just put you in a hard spot, but because he loves you and because somehow he is caring for you, even in that. And so our expectation then is that, that, that you know, if, if we are to live with Jesus, we would also in some ways have a, a life that, that models his, right? that he would call us in difficult places sometimes. Right? We've talked about hope and inheritance but so much of that is future-oriented. That That's actually no guarantee of a comfortable, nice life here and now. Right? That is not the promise of the Christian gospel. Right? But what Paul does want us to do is look beyond our present circumstances to the glory that is going to be revealed. Right? He wants God's revelation about the future to transform the way we live in the present. And, and I think this is particularly relevant. If, if any of you have ever been to um, like a Christian funeral, um, obviously it is, it is sad. Uh, and it is painful. Um, and yet, often, there is some like, measure of hope even in that, right? right? Well, Paul says elsewhere as well, that, that we are people who grieve, but we do not grieve without hope. Right? That, that, that even in the moment of deep darkness, this, somehow this hope of renewed life uh, it enables to change how we think about and see and view the present. Right? We grieve, but we do so some measure with hope. And so second, if we see the hope of God's calling, right, then, then, then we become this people of confident longing. Uh, and that means that somehow we expect to see and be about God's work in our midst. Right? One of one of RUF, we say our presuppositions walking onto campus is we believe that God is at work. Right? We're we not trying to drum up God's work. We are trying to just join ourselves into what he is already doing. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, I just want to ask you, are you someone who lives hopefully or are you cynical about life? Right? Have you found yourself maybe a little too at home in uh, meme culture? Right? Is sort of ironic detachment the place where you've just sort of resigned yourself to? Right? Do you find yourself just sort of dead-scrolling your phone? Or, or doom-scrolling it, rather? Right? What would it look like to allow the hope of Jesus to inform your outlook on the world on a daily basis? Right? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're, or you're considering Christianity... I would just gently ask maybe, what is the hope that you're holding on to? Right? Do you ever stop to just think about that? What is it you're holding on to or holding out for? And is that secure? Is there anyone who is at work on your behalf, or are you left to yourself in a cold, impersonal universe? Right? The Christian story says, You are not alone. God is for you, He is with you. Your hope in Him in Christ is secure. And that changes our outlook on the world. It, it means we don't have to be resigned to cynicism. We can be go forth with competent expectation. So third, if we uh, expect the riches of God's inheritance, right, I think that also makes us patient. Because <laughs> again, I, I know you could hear like, okay, like, when is this going to happen? We wait with patience. We trust on God. We trust in his timing, even when things are really challenging. But it also makes us generous, right? The the church as this better community that I talked about earlier, right, we ought to be the people who are most generous, who are most generous with our time, who are most generous with our resources. And I think it is often the case that we are not because we are, um, we put just as much sort of security and and, uh, stock in, you know, worldly success and wealth as, as everyone else. We just sort of dress it up a little nicer or maybe we sort of hide it a little better. But the message of the gospel actually frees us from, from putting stock in worldly success and wealth. Right? There's a story in Acts 19. Um, Paul comes to uh, Ephesus and, and, and when the people there see and experience the work of Jesus, right, all these people who have been dabbling in sorcery and making their livelihood that way, they come together, they throw all these books into a, a pile, which would have been worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in kind of present terms, and they light it on fire. Right? Their, their, their livelihood, their, their, you know, the way they made their living goes up in flames, literally, and it's volitional. They do it on purpose. Why? Right? They can forsake their earthly inheritance because they have found something much more valuable in Jesus Christ. Right? And then lastly, fourthly, right, seeing the greatness of God's power, I think, gives us freedom to be honest with our struggles. Right? If you know Jesus is powerful for you, then you are free to be weak. Right? That your status is secure in Jesus. That you are operating with his Holy Spirit. So you don't have to, to show off your strength, your aptitude. Right? You don't have to flex. You don't have to try to walk alone. You don't have to try to carry yourself. You can lean onto the one who is powerful on your behalf and trust that his spirit is at work in you. With the hope of God's call, the richness of His inheritance, the greatness of God's power. Right, and it's my hope it is is that that our church, Emmanuel uh, Presbyterian Church, is here in the city that Ruf would be these communities, this better community, which which Jesus intends His body to be, people who embody this hope, who live in light of this inheritance, and who go forth in God's power. And so let me pray that that would be so. Let me pray that God would make it the case for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for um, your love. We're grateful for this hope that is secure, um, that even as we long, we do so confidently, um, because we know that the inheritance we have is sure in and through Christ. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that as, as people who know this, we would lean unto your great power. Um, Lord, the, the siren song of self-sufficiency is is so attractive Um, and yet i pray that you would call each of us back to you Um, lord help us to know that there's a better way a more free way um, that we can live in light of your power and with your power through your spirit with us lord lord thank you for these friends and thank you for this church for emmanuel here and lord i pray that we would be people who live confidently who live hopefully who live expectantly uh, trusting that you are at work and, and waiting to see Uh, how you're at work. Lord, that we would join ourselves into your work here in this community and here in the city of New York, Lord. So we thank you for your grace. We thank you that it is free and rich and abundant. We pray all these things and ask in the name of Jesus. Uh, Amen.